I have written amazing things and created amazing paintings in my mind that are never going to actually make it onto a page. There's the issue of what do you want to put on paper? And then there's what can you put on paper? Welcome to Invisible Not Broken. Today, we're talking about tapping into creativity, activism, increase of information via the news and social media, combating the medical and wellness world, and self-care as self-love. Our host, Monica, is joined by artist and author, Sarah Bigham. your book just based on the title if I saw that title and that cover I'd be like I've got to read it that's it tell me about your book thank you the cover is actually image of one of my paintings and the title is pine chemist wife musings at 3 a.m and sometimes people think that I am the kind chemist wife and that is not the case I have a kind chemist wife and her name is Susan she is an organic chemist and one of the Many wonderful things about marrying a scientist is when I got sick, she became an integral part of my care team. And when I take her with me to doctor's appointments, which I try to always take her, I have seen the conversation shift completely when a doctor thinks they're dealing with me as a chronically ill person. And then, oh, here is a a person who's a PhD organic chemist. Suddenly the language is different. The approach is different. I'm lucky that I've put together a care team of doctors who treat me respectfully, no matter who I have in the world. But as I'm sure many people with chronic illness have found, I've been through dozens and dozens of healthcare providers, and some of them just change very rapidly when they realize that there's somebody in the room who speaks their same language. I realized how great it was to have her along. Now, she's beneficial for many reasons, including the fact that I love her very dear. But I wander the house and Now the wandering isn't so bad. When I first became ill and was dealing with significant pain and I couldn't sit down, one of my pain issues is vulvodynia. Another one is interstitial cystitis. And sitting is very painful. Standing hurts, but it hurts less than sitting. Lying down was painful. And I would find myself in the middle of the night, literally wandering the house circling around the cats. Eventually, I realized that what I needed to do was find something else to do other than wander. And that is when I began writing and I began painting. And I really think that creativity helped save me. I don't think that people understand how important distraction is in pain management. And creativity is the ultimate distraction. Yes. It was an opportunity for me to get out of my body, which psychologically probably doesn't sound very good, but that's what I needed to do at the time. There's this idea that we shouldn't disassociate, we should be in our pain. And I don't subscribe to that. There's a point where you really should probably just 86 out, right? Others who may be listening or watching who have chronic pain will know that ironically, some of the treatments that are used to treat 
in my case, it would be injections. Those are very, very painful. And I would actively wish to dissociate. I got very good at sort of meditating. And one of my care providers said, I don't know what it is you do, Sarah, but you somehow go to a different place. And I can tell your breathing changes, you're not responding to me, and you go somewhere else. And I think that's what I did. Something that's been fascinating for me is now that I have diagnoses and treatments and I know how to manage my various conditions, which is still a learning process. I am finding ways to re-enter my body, which I hadn't really thought of until recently. I'm taking a Feldenkrais class. It is kind of like very, very gentle yoga where mm-hmm. you're retraining your body how to move. I'm taking the class via Zoom and it really has been a way for me to re-enter my body in a positive way. That's beautiful. The people who have been in chronic pain for their entire lives versus someone who came to chronic pain later on how much you seek to change things. I've gotten very settled in my ways and I just gotten to a point of like fear of hope of I can't do this cycle again. I've done so many things to try to make it better that I'm almost scared to try a new thing. I get it. I do because I'm sure that if you were on Twitter or Facebook or social media of any kind and you just put out a message saying, what do you suggest that I do? And people will come back with hundreds and hundreds of suggestions. But people would come up with all of these ideas and I bet that you've tried all of them. I mean... All of us who are living with these things have tried so many things. The wellness movement concerns me because first, it's based in inequality. You have to be incredibly well off to pay for all of these wellness things. And they're not peer-reviewed. They're not scientifically peer-reviewed. And I don't want to spend thousands of dollars on something that's based on anecdotal evidence. It alienates people. It's very exclusive. So if you are feeling negative or sad, that's bad. I think that's an issue because it brings in this level of fear that you're causing your illness when I can't change my genetics. My DNA will not change based on my mindset. So, and it's not going to be made better if I feel anxious about that. My friends who've been in this world have lost friends. They've been abandoned when they got sicker because they were considered toxic. For lack of a better word, I find it a toxic culture. I've watched it in person and I find it very abusive. And my other thing I'm doing today is watching the wellness documentary on Netflix. Oh, it's just okay. a, a small documentary on Netflix, but I've been waiting for it because it's when there's so much money to be made. This has been yep. from the plagues to the Middle Ages to like time in memoriam. There's always been someone selling something to people where science doesn't have an answer. If there's right. no answer for most of our chronic illnesses other than that sucks, I'm sorry, live with it. Of course, we want more out of life. So we become very vulnerable. And I really dislike when people take advantage of vulnerable people. Right. Anyway, but you have an issue that I find really fascinating. And whenever you talk about people with vaginas or people with ovaries or uteruses, you end up with what I call the insanity defense, which is we can't solve this. You're crazy. Or my mom would actually, because I have a huge sexual abuse history and I had what you had and she would actually keep it off of my files because she was afraid that the gynecologists and the doctors would not 
take me seriously huh. if they knew that I had all of this past trauma, that they would just be like, this is a trauma issue, not okay. a mindful issue. So do, right. how, did you experience this wandering womb insanity defense? Oh, yes. You also mentioned vagina and vulva. And I think that there are many people who don't want to talk about that. They don't mm -hmm. want to talk about those words. They don't want to think about those parts. There and was a senator who was asked to leave while she was discussing OBGYN issues because she said vagina. And she was told that was a dirty word and she needed to leave the floor. We have a lot yes. of people who are dealing with ovaries and vaginal and vulva issues. Exactly. Exactly. I was just reading an article yesterday about how women with cervical cancer don't want to say that they have cervical cancer because they don't want to have to say the word cervical. I find that to be frustrating and sad that in our society, we can't talk about those things. So I try to talk about them very openly. But yes, I have had doctors who have suggested all kinds of things. At one point, I was seen at an urgent care facility because I had an irregular heartbeat and I had heart palpitations in the middle of the night. It was the first time that it had happened. And we went to urgent care and the doctor on staff asked me if my bra was too tight. He then asked me if perhaps I was having performance anxiety as a professor, and then he implied that maybe the performance anxiety was in the bedroom. Thankfully, my wife was with me, and she just removed me from that situation. In another situation, when I had not yet found a specialist, I have a, some sort of mast cell activation situation going on, and I'm seeing an allergy specialist. But before that happened, my constellation symptoms, I do understand, are strange. And a mast cell disorder is something that can affect your whole body, skin, your urinary system, your mental capacity. And if people aren't familiar with it, they may not know what to do with you. And I had one doctor who said, well, I can think of one thing that would explain all of this, and that would be psychiatric issues. And that is another situation where, thankfully, I had my wife along, and she ended the conversation and removed me from the situation. And I am forever grateful for her for doing that. I am not a doctor, and I haven't been through that training, so I know that I can't speak to how people address those of us who are zebras and not horses, I know that I don't understand the thought process. But to say those things to somebody who is clearly suffering and it is just unconscionable to me. I have very much appreciated the medical providers who have said, I don't know. And I know that for people who have been to years and years and years of training and specialization, it has to be really hard to say, I don't know. But I will take that any day over, well, the problem must be you. So I am grateful that I have a support system. I'm grateful that I have an education and that I have 
degrees and that I know how to read scientific journals and that I am able to do research on conditions. It does speak to the privilege. So what we mean when we say things like privilege, which is your life is not easy. My life is not easy, but our lives are easier than if we had something that we were born with that would have gotten in the way of our treatment, like talking to Tinu or Tiara who are Black and dealing with that literally in medical textbooks today, it states that they're, they don't feel pain the same way, which is obviously bullshit. And talking to the people who I've talked to who are trans, who have been on the episodes who are dealing with being men, but still having to go to the gynecologist to deal with gynecological issues and the amount yeah. of hell they deal with just in the office. Like that's what we're talking about when we say privilege. It doesn't mean our lives are easy. It just means they're easier. Just listening to everything, like this is awful. This is awful, but we're still at a level of privilege. We have internet. We can look things up. We have supportive partners. You're talking about your wife, and I'm curious if you've had this experience. I was married before to a woman, and when I was chronically sick, no one discussed sex with me. No, and I had vaginitis, and no one talked to me about sex at all until I got divorced and then I married my husband. And then all of a sudden, they're like, hey, so we should talk about sex. I'm like, what the fuck was married before where were y'all for that like right do you experience that too of just like a lack of understanding of non-heteronormative sex and that they're just not interested in discussing that or are you getting a better situation well i have not been married to a man so i don't have a comparison between the two but i will say that i have now a set of care providers who are very holistic And they are interested in all parts of your life and how you are affected, whether it's how you are sleeping, whether it's your sex life, all that. And I'm grateful. I I feel like the people I have found for my health care are open-minded people. Social media is great for mental health. Twitter is bad. I hate Facebook as a principal as a company, but I also love it for mental health and finding your groups. There are several different groups I'm part of on Facebook that are related to different conditions or diagnoses I have, and I have found them very, very useful. But Twitter, I don't think I can do it. My wife already has suggested that I only take in news twice a day because I tend to read the news and then react strongly to it. My husband has a 9 p.m. for me. He's like, we don't have rules for each other. He's like, just for my sanity, for your sanity, could you stop at nine? I switched over to only reading newspapers in the morning. I read the news digitally. I go into newspapers and actually just read the articles instead of going to Twitter and then trying to figure out why something's trending through everyone's viewpoint and getting livid. It's been so much nicer to go to Apple News. I'll read the actual articles and then I'm more informed when I, I do go on Twitter and then I can growl more effectively. Yeah. We actually still get two hard copy newspapers. I really like getting a hard copy and seeing what is it that the editors have put on the front page above the mm. fold. It kind of yeah. helps in terms of determining what is something that I should be really outraged about and what is something that might be more of a footnote? And how they phrase the headline decides whether I continue to even pay attention to that newspaper or not. And what I find really interesting, I'm fairly old. There's actually a time where the news, it was shocking to hear a viewpoint from the newscaster. It was so shocking when like 9-11 happened and a reporter cried. Like that made news was that the reporter cried. 
And that was the big hot take was were they even allowed to show human emotion during this time? But, you know, it's so weird to see it go from that to not even just the news shows, but just seeing things like Washington Post or New York Times really using their language to show their viewpoint, which I think hurts everyone. It's news. Give me the news. Tell me what happened. Well, and I think that that relates to to health issues and how with the pandemic, I am mystified and concerned about how we've gotten to the point where science is somehow political and people choose whether or not to believe science. I know I probably think about that a lot more than non-scientists because I live with a scientist. On one hand, I'm really glad that as a patient, I have access to a lot of information that 20 years ago, 50 years ago, we never would have had access to unless we somehow were able to go into a medical school library. But on the other hand, if you're not careful, you wind up finding things, as you were saying earlier, that they're not peer-reviewed. They're, nobody's looked at it. People just put their opinions out there. We have to be careful consumers as people with chronic illnesses, especially because we don't have the energy that other people do. I personally try to make sure that I am spending my time with reputable sources, but it's hard to do online. Can we just discuss for a second of trying to advocate while you're sick? And then they're like, you waited this long to talk to me. I'm like, I've been unconscious for two weeks. Yes, I waited this long to make this complaint. And then of course you deal with the trolls. And it's really, really bad too. I know a lot of people who have either an orphan disease or a chronic illness or an invisible illness feel called to be an advocate for others with those same conditions. And I love that they do it. I try to do it myself. But that's a lot to put on somebody who is already struggling to get through the day. I'm a professor. That's my job. I'm on reduced hours because of my various health issues. But I know many times my students and my colleagues don't get how much it takes to do the teaching because I try to, to teach and the students are my priority and that is my job and I love what I do and I want to spend time with them. But when I am done teaching for the day, I go directly to bed because I am utterly exhausted. I think people who don't live with chronic fatigue or chronic pain that is very hard for them to conceptualize because their version of tired at the end of the day is is not the same as tired and I can't function. On the incredibly sad upside, and I want to stress, I am not gleeful about this at all, but welcome everyone who has had COVID who is now a part of our chronic illness community. Oh, we are going to be seeing a huge yes. increase in ME. We're going to be seeing a huge increase in mast cell. Like they're already yes. showing that POTS is becoming like a thing in people who have chronic illness. And my God, if you're new to this, I, I bow down to the bravery you're going to have to show for the next two, three, five or 10 years because this is going to be a hard journey for y'all. But the only upside I can see to this is I can see a more adaptive world. I can see yes. people having an empathy that they did not have before. And I think that we're going to see a, a more compassionate and empathetic world and a more accessible yes. world because of it. And I'm sorry it has to happen like this. I do not want other people to get sick. 
but if this is what's happening, I'm hoping that that's what this leads to. Yes, I agree with you. I had the same thought when the news was coming out that there were these long-standing side effects and conditions that people had after recovering from COVID. And like you said, I, I absolutely didn't want anybody to get sick. I don't want anybody to feel the way that I feel. None of us would wish that on anyone. Another thing that I think might happen with the result of this is I doubt there are going to be as many people saying to somebody who had COVID and now has these lingering long-term symptoms afterwards, I doubt they're going to be saying, maybe you should get your psychological background in order, or maybe it's all in your head, or are you following the gluten-free diet? I feel a little badly saying that because I just don't think people are going to suggest those things about people who had COVID think that there's no end because what that stems from is I feel powerless about your illness and I care about you and I want you better. And at worst, it's your illness makes me desperately comfortable and has changed my life for the worst. And I really need you to get better and get back to normal so I can get back to normal. It's one of those two things. And that's not going to be made different because it was COVID. So I very much believe that there's still going to be the hadn't you just tried. I think there's going to be a whole bunch of snake oil. I think it's going to be pretty brutal for a while with that. But I do agree with you that if you're not going to be like, are you crazy? Oh, that right. was the thing that was like hard with chronic illness and disability where you're undiagnosed for decades, where it's like, could I just have been hit by a car? That seems like the easy way to just get everyone on board with this is what's happened. This is why it's happening. And can we just cut short your thoughts on what I have and just get to I'm suffering and that should be enough for you. That's enough. I feel like perhaps the pandemic has made me focus even more on what are some positive things? because. I have moments of outrage every day. One of my colleagues once asked me, Sarah, how much outrage do you have? And this was pre-COVID. And I said, my outrage knows no bounds. It depends on the day and what the topic is, but I have a lot of outrage and it's hard to necessarily know where to put that. So I've tried in the pandemic to really find ways that I'm not just having outrage with no bounds, but that I'm also having some positive things. As I was thinking about the things that we might be able to talk about today, I was struck by the kinds of questions that I have gotten from people, both people I know and then people who have contacted me through my website or email or something. And oftentimes the question is, how do you do it? How do you survive? How do you make it through? I feel like we're now almost like oracles because we have dealt with being home by ourselves a lot before the pandemic. We have dealt with scary situations that are medical that nobody knows the answer to. We have dealt with lots and lots of uncertainty. We have dealt with fatigue and pain. So we now, in some ways, are the wise ones. And what can we share with 
other people about surviving the pandemic. And while I will never say that I am a person who has all of the answers, I can say that whatever kind of creativity people have is a great way to go. That has certainly helped me. And I was, we have three cats. I love them very, very dearly. And even though my wife of many years will say that at heart, she's a dog person, she really does love the cats. And I have made it a habit now to make sure that if I'm entering or leaving a room or walking around a room, I always pat the cat, always pat the cat. There's something very soothing about patting the cat. I know for some people, they will do meditation. I also meditate nearly every day. But there's something that just sort of stops the outrage. And there you are in the moment with this lovely cat who is usually napping. So it's a nice symbol of relaxation and just pat the cat. I also decided that when my book came out, I would send a copy to some of my favorite authors. And that is easier said than done because it is hard to get appropriate addresses. But I managed to do it in a variety of cases. And I've received these lovely thank you notes. I got one from Anne Lamont and Dave Barry, who's a humor writer in, he writes a newspaper column. He sent me a note back and I mean, those have kept me going for days and days. And it just makes me so happy that these people who have provided me with warmth and happiness and intellectual stimulation are sending me something and perhaps reading my words. Last night, I was looking at Facebook and a notification came up from the Sheldrick Wildlife Trust, which is a place in Kenya that takes in orphaned elephants. And I love elephants. I've never really been around elephants, but they're matriarchal and wise and wonderful. They had done a Facebook Live where they were introducing us to all of their baby elephants. My wife had been in the Peace Corps in Kenya for several years and has always loved Kenya. And some years ago, I started doing an annual adoption of a baby elephant through this trust. So that's how I had even seen the thing come up. So Indoto, the elephant, has been one that we've adopted for several years. And I didn't actually get to see him, but I got to see all of these other baby elephants. And I thought, this is the best part of my week right here. And it just made me very, very happy. These are the moments I try to look out for because that will keep me going through the outrage. I have undiagnosed anxiety disorder. I can't afford to see a therapist or a psychiatrist, but for my whole life, I've had anxiety issues to panic attack levels. And my husband has learned that when I get spirally, what's what we call it, where like I can't even grasp onto anything. I'm just in a whirlwind of anxiety. He just puts the computer in front of me and starts playing baby kitten videos. But then somehow short circuits my brain from sheer unadulterated terror. He can usually get me to like a breathing calm level with kittens. There's definitely things that we can also look for to do no matter where we're at, what we have access to. If we have access to the internet, we can choose what we go on to. That's always easy. I also have like an obsessive need to like look at the news. One of the things I want to talk to you about art and creation 
And I think that that's a political act in and of itself is creating things and being a part of, of the world in that way, because with yeah. invisible disability, our voices get silenced. And so yes. the only ways we can get our voices out is through publishing or writing or our yes. artwork. How do you, how do you deal with the health issues? And I'm an illustrator and I went a month without being able to draw because they just looked at my wrist. How do you handle the physicality of creation with physical limitations? That is a great question because it's something that I struggle with. And I have written amazing things and created amazing paintings in my mind that are huh? never going to actually <laughs> make it onto a page. There's the, there's the issue of what do you want to put on paper? And then there's what can you put on paper? So when I have been at treatments or at medical appointments or even traveling for them or dealing with the side effects of medication when I'm at home, I have ideas that will come to me and I can't always carry them out. So I keep a running list of ideas that I have about stories, about paintings that I want to do. And it is single spaced and it is close to 10 pages. I will never get through that list. But I've learned to at least when I can put down the basic idea of what I was thinking so that someday I might be able to come back to it. Sometimes I'll look at the notes and think I have no idea what I was talking about. But most of the time I know what it is and maybe someday I'll get to it. I found that the pandemic really added a layer of my fatigue, perhaps mental fatigue, in the face of intense pain. I could still create something. But when the pandemic hit, I could paint, but writing was very, very hard for me. I have not started any new writing. I really do think that the pandemic has added a layer. I don't know if it's another obstacle or another hoop to jump through or just sort of a layer of gauze between what we want to do and where we are. But I really feel that with the pandemic, it has been really hard for me to start new work. And in fact, Last night, I'd, I'd gotten an email from a writer friend who had asked me to contribute to an anthology that she and some other writers are working on. And she sent an email and I ignored it because I thought there's no way I'm going to be able to submit anything. I'm just not submitting anything right now. And then I got another reminder and I still ignored that. And then she reached out to me by Facebook message last night and she said, we'd really like to see your work. And I thought, I don't have anything good to give them. But it was the push I needed to go back into work that I had started some time ago and just needed to revisit. And I actually submitted last night. I, it was probably two in the morning, but I actually submitted something. And that was something that I did regularly for years, for the last five years or so, and hadn't done anything during the pandemic. So I thank them for encouraging me to do that. I've now proven to myself that even though there's a pandemic going on, I can submit. I'm wondering if there's a response issue for people in the middle of chaos are like, I can't control anything. So I'm just going to embrace the chaos. I'm going to create more chaos. So I'm going to make more creation. Or there's chaos and I need to make sense of it and organize it. It's like, I will edit the work I've already made. I just have right. any element to that. 
I think you're on to something. With my health things, I don't know if this happens with you, but I have a daily list of things that have to happen, like call this doctor, refill this prescription, et cetera. And I have a calendar of things. So every day there are things I have to do. Then I have a separate chart of things that have to happen every day related to my health conditions. And I go through the chart every day and check things off. And I go through the calendar and I check things off. And I've been able to do that in the pandemic. So perhaps it is the, here is a thing to work on, check the box. But when it comes to just start something, maybe that's too overwhelming. Heard like the best advice, I think it was Elizabeth Gilbert. I'm probably going to blank on this, but discipline is an act of self-love. So if you're disciplined to brush your teeth, you're showing self-love for future you. If you're disciplined to write your book or do the thing you're supposed to do or do your physical therapy, that is a, is an act of love towards future you. It's one of the best ways to get me to do things. And just realizing that's like an actual act of helping myself through that self-worth is to show the discipline to do the thing. I have a list of daily things that need to get done today and the things have to get done in the week. If I physically can't do those things in the day, it can go over to the week thing. And then on the one healthy day I have that week, I can try to get through it. I love that you mentioned self-love because I've been struggling with the word self-care. I don't know why this bothers me, but I hate that self-care is hyphenated. I want it to either be self-care, two words, or I want it to be one word. I don't like it that it's hyphenated. And that has been bothering me for about two weeks now, and I don't know why, but I seem to want to start a campaign that self-care should not be hyphenated. I think you should push the dictionary people. They seem pretty on it and off. I mean, their Twitter alone is just worth joining Twitter to follow them. They're <laughs> hilarious. I am so there for that. That's like one of my favorite Twitter accounts. We and a lot of on, on the Merriam-Webster website. That's a good one. Yeah, we should probably stop just for yes. I will run out of recording space. Yeah, but I'm hoping you'll come back on. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about today's episode, including show notes, transcripts, and more, please visit InvisibleNotBroken.com. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support the show by heading over to our Patreon or by sharing these episodes. We are non-advertising and our growth is thanks to you listeners. Thank you to our host, Monica, and our guest, Sarah, for an incredible conversation. This episode was edited by me, Alice Fan. Last but not least, be kind, be gentle, and be badass.